Hello, and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 42, the jersey number worn by the late, great closer Bruce Suter, who pitched for so many years for the Cubs and then later for the Cardinals. Picked him for a couple reasons uh, we'll get into later, and if you know, you know. This week has been a great week for the Cubs. The, after you know a series win against Baltimore last year, they went back to Pittsburgh and swept Pittsburgh again, so they've won six in a row against the Buccos. And now they head to London on an upswing. They've won 10 of their last 12 and they're going to face the struggling Cardinals for two in London across the pond before coming back and getting into more of the meat of the schedule. In today's episode, we talk about what the Cubs have done to kind of change their mojo on this season. We talk about the starting pitching. We talk about the bullpen. I dive into a couple offensive players, most notably Christopher Morrell. At the end of the episode, I also get into some of the deadline and uh, pennant race implications of what this team has done over the last couple weeks. So a bit of a look ahead at maybe some trade deadline things. But for right now... All eyes on London. Let's get some wins. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. On the eve of the Cubs Cardinals series set to be played in London this weekend, I would like to wish everybody a happy Ryan Sandberg day. And a happy birthday to my wife as well. Um, It was a big day in 1984. I was 10 years old watching the Cubs and Cardinals on national TV with Bob Costas calling the game. I mean, that's as as big as things got back then. Um, Little did I know how good that Cubs team was going to be, but they were off to a good start in uh, 1984. They were playing the Cardinals June 23rd, and the Cardinals got up huge in that game. The Cubs started coming back and coming back and coming back. And then in the seventh inning, they brought in their closer, former Cub, as I alluded to in the open, Bruce Suter, who was really one of the baddest closers on the planet at that point. He came in, he would often come in, pitch multiple innings. He would just shut stuff down with his splitter. It was nasty. And Cub game went to the ninth. Cubs were down a run. And Sandberg hit a home run. It was shocking, right? This young kid, he, had, he hadn't become a star yet. This was kind of his national breakout game. He hit that bomb off Bruce Suter. And then they go to extra innings. Of course, the Cardinals score two in the 10th. And so it looks like that was, that was fun. That was exciting. The way the game had gone before that ninth inning, the Cardinals had led start to finish. There was another event famously coming on after that, as soon as that game was over. So Bob Costas and crew were trying to get all of their particulars done ahead of time. They were given all of the credits and thank yous and all that. They had already awarded Willie McGee, the player, the player of the day and got to the ninth, you know, Rhino hits that bomb and then they go to the 10th. And of course the Cubs give up too. And it's like, well, all right, that was fun. Um, but Brian Sandberg came around again, this time with a man on, hit another home run. I mean, it was just going crazy. If you can go on YouTube, you can find these calls. You can find, I'm pretty sure it was Harry doing the radio call, and he just absolutely lost his mind. Um, it was amazing, and the Cubs did wind up winning this game in extra innings. And that was a chance, that was a time when baseball was not on TV all the time. You couldn't just turn, well, we could turn Cubs, Cubs fans could turn the TV on and catch Cubs games. You catch the Braves on TBS, but outside of those superstation teams, you would get these national games of the week. You'd get Monday Night Baseball with Howard Cosell. I can't remember if that was still going in '84, but there was a Monday Night Baseball for a long time, much like there's still Monday Night Football today. There was uh, the Saturday game of the week. Sometimes there were two. You might get a bonus game on a Sunday somewhere, but there were only a few chances to really watch baseball, and you tended to get, as you would imagine, the top matchups, the top teams. 
And so it was fun to see Cubs Cardinals that day. And, you know, not only was Ryan Sandberg a young player, he had come up with the Cubs in 1982 after being traded from the Phillies along with Larry Boa for Ivan DeJesus in what's probably famously one of the Cubs' top two or three trades ever. I would basically say it's that trade and the trade in uh, 2014 sending Scott Feldman and Steve Clevenger to Baltimore for Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strope. Those are pretty much the best two trades, but this was, you know, Sandberg was a young guy. He was coming on. He had played some third base. 1984, he took over second base for what would basically be the next, you know, decade plus. And he was having the start of a really good year, but that game put him on the national map. Like, People all over the country were watching this game. This wasn't, you know, today you might hear about it. You might want to seek out and watch Shohei Otani. You might want to watch Mike Trout. But the entire country basically had that Cubs-Cardinals game to watch that day. And so everybody was seeing Ryan Sandberg, and there was a lot of, wow, who is this kid? And he got hot from there, wound up having a fantastic 1984 season. He hit 314, 36 doubles, 19 triples, 19 home runs. And he was electric, and the Cubs won for the first time, first time in my lifetime, but I was 10, so what did I know? Um, But the first time, really, first postseason since 1945, and everybody was jazzed. I mean, it was was electric at Wrigley. But that game was really something special. And next year will be the the 40th anniversary, but I wanted to highlight it today because, A, I'm recording on Ryan Sandberg Day, and tomorrow the Cubs take on the Cardinals in a couple pretty big or starting tomorrow, the Cubs take on the Cardinals in a couple pretty big games over in London. So since we last talked, um, I really enjoyed my conversation with Alex Cohen last week. If you guys have a chance to check it out, I would do so. Um, kind of one update from that interview, one of the guys that Alex was really talking up at the time was um, Keegan Thompson. He had been looking better, um, throwing his curveball really, really well, trying to make that transition from a fastball cutter primary pitch guy to a fastball curve with a supplementary cutter. Um, this week he did go on the injured list. So I haven't seen a lot of big updates on that. Hopefully it's nothing major and he can get back to action soon. Um, Alex has uh, usually got his finger on the pulse of the Iowa Cubs pretty well. And he was, he was really talking up Keegan Thompson, but since then, and since I did a solo episode a couple weeks ago, boy, how things have changed. A couple weeks ago, the Cubs seemed dead in the water. They had split a series in San Diego. They thought they could have won. This was coming off winning the Tampa series, but almost feeling like they lost it because they had a sweep opportunity in game three and let it slip. This was after getting swept by the Reds. So things were not looking great. After San Diego, they got swept by the LA Angels. And honestly, it was looking like, God, maybe this team is going to be selling at the deadline. But then they went to San Francisco and they won two out of three. They came home and they swept the Pirates. And then they beat a very good Baltimore team two out of three. And that last game against Baltimore, that loss, that was a game that they've really been losing that game a lot this year. It's the win the first two games of a series, then drop a potential you know, sweep opportunity. But a lot of times those games have come with maybe a weak lineup. Maybe you've got a lineup with... Barnhart and Mastroboni and somebody else in there that's really not hitting well. Maybe they're not playing the splits game like the Cubs would normally do. Um, but that game didn't feel like a giveaway game. It didn't feel like a kind of a typical quote-unquote meatloaf game. Um, they went in. They had a solid lineup. It was an exciting game for a while. The Cubs did lose. Baltimore poured on some runs later. But that Baltimore team is really good. You're not going to hold that team down um, for three, four, or five games. And so for them to win one is, is not that big of a deal. But the Cubs showed. The Cubs fought. The Cubs even, you know, did sort of have some fake rally at the end of the game trying to make it close again. Um, but then they, you know, went to Pittsburgh and swept again. And so now here we are. So the Cubs have won 10 of their last 12. Over the last couple of weeks, the Cubs have the best, well, really on the season, the Cubs have the best starting pitching in the National League. They're fourth overall in starting pitcher ERA. Um but they're number one in the National League. And this is a team that all of a sudden, you know, we've, we've talked about this a million times. The Cubs have played a lot of close games, and they've been losing in the margins. They don't push extra runs across late. They don't hold teams down, especially in the bullpen. Um, but that's exactly what they're doing right now. I mean, the bullpen guys are starting to find their roles, and it seems like they're getting comfortable. The offense has been really, really good. I mean, the Cubs are... 
over the last 14 games or 14 days, the Cubs are tied for third in baseball um, with 75 runs scored. So they're getting runs across, and maybe more importantly, they're getting runs. They they've come back from some deficits. There have been times where they've gotten ahead early, but late in games they're continuing to pile on. So this is a team where went through a whole stretch through May. Um, it's been pretty well documented. It seems to be touched on on every broadcast. They're seeing the most pitches in the league. The Cubs are a very patient team. They're getting deep in counts. They're running up pitch counts for the opponent, but that only goes so far if the end result is a strikeout or the end result is a weak ground ball. Um, but the Cubs have finally been able to make use of that, and they've knocked some starting pitchers out. They have gotten into some bullpens and been able to tack on you know, crooked numbers later in games, which has done wonders for the bullpen. Then that bullpen itself, I mean, over the last 14 days, that bullpen's one of the best in baseball. Now, again, 14, 14, 14 games, 14 days is a small sample size. And I cautioned everybody in the beginning of the season, you know, some of the things that were going well or weren't going well, you know, don't freak out or don't assume this is perfect because it's a small sample size. But when the Cubs have seen what they've seen, it's it's nice to be able to see that they're they're adjusting, they're still fighting, they're finding some continuity. But the best part really is um, best starting pitching. The starting pitching is so good. I know there are multiple candidates who could start the all-star game for the National League, but if Marcus Stroman is not that guy, I mean, come on, what are we even doing? He was putting up some of the best numbers in baseball. His pitches are just, his command is just spot on. He's putting it where it needs to be. He's getting strikeouts. He's going deep into games. He's getting, when he gets into a bit of a trouble, a bit of trouble, he gets that classic ground ball, and he's the perfect pitcher for this infield that Cubs have built. Um, Justin Steele is back, and Justin Steele has been excellent pretty much all season. He's gotten rocked a couple times. Um, one of them was when he pitched in Houston with the flu. And you know, he missed, missed two starts with an injury, but he's back, and he looked good in his last start. So I'm excited to see him and Stroman go in, in uh, London against St. Louis. Um, Drew Smiley continues to be anywhere from good to gutty. Um, he's mostly been good, but like his one of his last starts, he gave up five runs fairly early in the game. But it was a game where the Cubs just needed him to figure out a way, and he did. I mean, he got through five innings or got through six innings, giving up the five runs. The Cubs came back and got, and the Cubs actually Smiley actually got the win that day. Um, but that's what you want from your veteran pitchers to go out there and battle. And Jamison Tyone is still figuring it out. He had a Run of about three starts that were looking a lot better, um, a lot more like the JMO we kind of expect to see. Um, but while that's still a work in progress, now it looks like I don't know is Kyle's is Kyle Hendricks back? Sure seems like he might be. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if he can continue this. But right off coming out of the injured list, he's looked very sharp. His location is good. He's moving the ball around. He's not throwing hard. I mean, it was kind of funny to see him and Rich Hill pitch this week. They put a graphic on the screen that Rich Hill's fastball, four-seam fastball, was 499th in baseball for average velo, and Kyle's was uh, 501st. So two of the slowest fastballs in baseball. But they went at it and battled, and, and uh, Kyle got the win that day and, and pitched really well. So it's really good to see him coming back. I mean, there's just a lot to like about this staff. Um, they've got some depth in the system. Ben Brown continues to throw well in Iowa. Hayden Wisniewski is now in the bullpen. He's had one or two outings, and he's, he's looked pretty good there. We'll see how he does in the bullpen role. Um, but really the big growth for this team and the pitching staff is finally getting some support from that bullpen. The Cubs started the season with Brad Boxberger as the setup man and Michael Fulmer as the closer, and Fulmer had all kinds of issues early in the season. Um but now he's gone 11, 11 straight outings without giving up an earned run. Um, in that time, he's the one unearned one unearned run he gave up. Um, but he's been excellent. Now he's typically been pitching in the the sixth inning. He's been taking some of the lower leverage situations, but they're not all low leverage situations. Like on, he had three straight outings this month in June. Where on June fourteenth, he came up in that game I talked about with uh, Drew Smiley. Drew Smiley pitched six innings and gave up you know, the five runs. Then Fulmer comes in with the Cubs up 7-5, and he gets him out, advances the game later in the, to the later guys in the bullpen. A couple days later, he came in, um, close game, up 3-2. So that's not ninth inning leverage, but, you know, a 3-2 game is still a time when you want to get out so not give up runs. 
Um, he got through that. In the 19th, he came up, came in with a three-run lead, pitched the sixth. So at the very least, he's getting that role. And not only is he getting that role and getting those innings done, he's actually starting to look good while doing it. I mean, he's, um, you know, his pitches look sharp. He's getting good movement. He's getting that, you know, the breaking stuff with a, getting more swing and miss like he was getting very early in the season. When you step back and look at his numbers in total, I mean, he really, he's gone in streak. He's been very streaky. So to start the season, he was okay. He had a couple good outings. But then you look to, uh, like, from May, or from April 15th to April 23rd, he made five appearances, threw a total of four innings, gave up eight earned runs, and that's when he was getting bombed. That's when he was losing the closer job. I mean, he was getting hit hard. He was walking guys he shouldn't have been walking or walking more guys than he should have been. Um, and then he lost those leverage innings and went back to more low-leverage stuff. Um and was fine, had a number of outings, didn't give up runs. But then, you know, a couple weeks later, it's May 14th. And really from May 14th, it's really May 14th to about the, probably about the 21st. But then he went about five or six days without pitching and had a rough outing on the 27th. So I'll say from, you know, May 14th to May 27th, again, he made five appearances through a total of four innings and gave up eight earned runs. Now he's given up 18 earned runs on the season. 16 of those came in those two stretches. So... He's been up and down. He hasn't been all bad, um, but now he's been quite good. Like I said, he's had 11 straight outings with you know very little given up. Um, another guy of the bullpen that's really been big is Julian Merriweather. He's a guy the Cubs picked up in the offseason um, from Toronto, and he throws gas. I mean, he's throwing 9,900 miles an hour. Got some good movement. They've been working on a sweeper with him, and – he got roughed up his first time out. His very first outing was, I think it was the second game of the season against Milwaukee. Maybe it was the third game. It was that first series. And he gave up five runs in two-thirds of an inning. And then after a scoreless outing, his third time out, he gave up a couple runs again. So at that point, everybody was kind of done with him. And, and it wasn't flukish. Like, he was getting crushed. Um, so he didn't look good. He was getting hit hard. And at a time when other guys in the bullpen were also struggling with their roles, yeah, there was there was a lot of clamoring for Julian Merriweather to get designated for assignment and, and released. Um, he's not a guy with options, so the Cubs picked him up, and they really have to have him on the major league squad or else they're putting him through waivers to then decide what to do. Um, but really, since those first three outings, he has been lights out. And again, like Fulmer, he went to some low leverage situations for quite a while. He was pitching in blowouts and all that kind of thing, but they have been gradually ramping up his leverage and he is just eating guys up right now you know in april he put up a 694 era 169 in may and he hasn't allowed a run in june um so really you look at may and june together and he's gone you know 20 and two-thirds innings he's given up two earned runs he struck out 32 i mean his his stuff is just off the charts good right now um, so he's become definitely part of that trusted circle along with Mark Leiter Jr., who, you know, I've talked about him a lot on the podcast. I didn't like him as a starter last year. I thought he was fine in the bullpen last year. Um, I was pretty ambivalent about him in the offseason. I was fine that they got him through waivers and kept him, and then I was fine that he made the roster. But, I mean, this guy's a lefty killer. That split he throws is nasty, and it's been eating guys up all all season long. So he's been a top dog. He's closed once or twice. He's he's kind of the guy they go to to get those big lefty outs because even though he's a right-handed pitcher, that the way that split moves, it's just it's a reverse split pitch. And then Edward Alzali, has who everybody kind of had pegged as you know multi-inning reliever, um, has kind of had to step up in that closer role. And he's really good. So it's nice to have certainly the circle of trust right now is is Merriweather, Leiter Jr., and Alzali. I think Michael Fulmer is on the edge of it. Michael Rucker has been up and down. I'm still um, not as high on him as I think the Cubs are. Anthony Kay has come up and he's looked pretty decent. Um, so we'll see. Now we got Hayden Wozneski in the bullpen. We'll see what kind of situations he can run. But just having those three guys at the back to take those big spots, or you know maybe Michael Fulmer takes some some bigger leverage spots more in the earlier innings. Um, it just saves you from having to burn those three and they're going to need more guys to get out. I mean, the, 
it's it's working right now. It's great. The deeper the starters can get, the better. If you know Marcus Stroman, Kyle Hendricks, Justin Steele have all had games where they've gotten, you know, to the seventh or through seven. You only have to get you know six or nine outs. That's pretty nice, and you can just lean on those guys. But over the course of time, you're going to have days where you, or weeks where you run stretches of close games, and you know you can pitch a lot of those guys on back to back days, but. Um, occasionally you're going to want them to run more than one inning um, or there's just going to be a limit. Like Mark Leiter Jr. is really good. He probably shouldn't run out there four straight games. Um, so you do need other guys to step up and get some of those outs. And that's where Michael Fulmer, Hayden Wisniewski, you know, some other guys that come up are going to be big. Um, you know, I think Javier Assad is the long guy. Um, they haven't really needed one lately because the starting pitching has been so good. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully that continues. But it's been a lot of fun. And then when you go to the go to the offense, you know, they've been scoring more consistently. Like I said, the last, you know, last 14 days, they're tied for third in baseball and run scored. It's fun to see them. And they're doing it in different ways. They are getting some homers. Christopher Morales had, had some home runs. Dansby's had one. Hap had a big one the other day. Um, but they're still doing a lot with walks and working good counts and you know Mike Talkman is somebody who at the start of the, at the top of the lineup now has been the table setter. He's been doing a really good job as the catalyst for this offense. Even if he doesn't get on base, he's he's going up, he's starting the game, he's seeing seven or eight pitches. He's fouling off some tough two two strike pitches, making that pitcher work. And not only is it making the pitcher work and getting them off to that kind of start in the game, but the guys behind him whether it's Nico Horner, Seiya Suzuki, Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson, Christopher Morrell, like those guys are now getting a chance to see five, six, seven, eight pitches. Uh, but he's also getting on base at a, like a 400 clip. Um, so that's been really, really useful. He's played some good center field. But between that, adding Cody Bellinger, Christopher Morrell getting, getting back out of kind of a funk he had been in in May, that lineup is just so much deeper. And I think we've seen that lately with some of the lineup choices. Like I know a lot of people were annoyed uh, Wednesday against Rich Hill that the Cubs didn't just leave Talkman at the top of the lineup. Now he got bumped down to eighth, largely because Rich Hill is a tough pitcher for lefties to face. Um, and there we saw something a little bit different. We saw Nico Horner back at the top of the order, and, and he had a good game. But we saw Say it too, and so that's something I've talked about a little bit. That's something I've been wanting to see. I think Saya, I'm a big believer that you put your best all-around hitter at two, and I think Saya is our best overall hitter. Um, I don't feel super strongly about whether, you know, I, I like Mike Talkman at leadoff, but if you're not going to lead off Talkman, then um, Nico is probably the next best. Um, I like Ian Happ at leadoff. I would like to see some of that, but the Cubs aren't doing it at all, which tells me maybe Ian's not comfortable there. Maybe there's something about it that the analytics team or David Ross doesn't like whatever it is they're not doing it so I'm not going to nitpick that one to death but I like say it too I like seeing Dansby Swanson a little bit deeper in the order that's where he always hit with Atlanta so you know three could be Hap three can be morale kind of depends on the matchups but um that lineup's getting deeper but let's talk about a couple guys from that lineup so on the plus side let's talk about morale so Christopher morale came up and obviously went on a tear when he first came up. He had nine homers in 12 games and was just setting the world on fire. <clears throat> then he went through a series where he was, um, you know, a good stretch where he was having some funk. He, the strikeouts were going up again. He was getting north of 30, 35% um, strikeout rate. And he has slowly really started to turn. If you, if you watch his at-bats, he's having better at-bats. Now, one that stands out to me, so that it was the last game of the Baltimore series, so the Cubs were down... Two nothing early. Um, no, sorry, the Cubs are down two to one because Mike Talkman let off the game with a home run. But Christopher Morrell came up in the fourth, and he was facing Kramer for Baltimore, and he got down 0-2. And then Kramer threw a pitch. It was a, it was a slider low and out of the zone, but not egregious. It wasn't a you know he didn't bounce it in there. It's a really good competitive two strike pitch, and it's the kind of pitch that Morrell often chases, and he would have chased it for the K. But he took it, and so he took it, and it's 1-2, and now, you know, it's 1-2. Pitcher's still going for the strikeout, but again, you, like, you laid off a bad one. It gave the pitcher a chance to make a mistake, 
and Kramer was going for something low. He's going for fastball low, probably low, just, just under the zone or right at the bottom edge of the zone. But I saw that catcher's glove move up. He missed. He got it instead of, you know, like right at the knees or a touch below. It was more like thigh high. And Morrell was all over it and just crushed that thing. And that's, it's anecdotal. It's one at bat. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't make a trend. But it was a really good sign that that's, that's a pitch he's often swings at and, and gets struck out on. And he took it and it, something productive happened because of it. If you go look at Van Graff's or Baseball Reference, wherever it is you like to get your stats, and look at Morrell's splits. When he came up in May, he was obviously super red hot. But even then, he was, you know, in May, he was running a strikeout rate of 38.7% for the month. Now, a lot of that was at, as he cooled off, he started striking out a ton. But his walk rate was 5%, which is not terrible for him. But, you know, that was all about the power. And so if you compare the statistics, he was way better in May. But when he was having three and four hit games and hitting nine home runs in 12 games, like you're, the power just buries everything else in a small sample stat line. But if you look at his June, a couple things really stand out to me. Like that strikeout rate in June is 16.9%, and the walk rate's doubled. And he's up to 10.2% walk rate. If Christopher Morrell is taking walks and Christopher Morrell is, is being selective at the plate, not swinging at a bunch of junk, he becomes so much more dangerous as a hitter. Uh, I saw some comps after a couple of his home runs lately comparing him to Sammy Sosa. And obviously that's a, that's a huge comparison to make. I'm not going to put that burden on Christopher Morrell. But one thing I really saw with Sammy when he was coming up with the Cubs before, well, whether you, know, you go for the roids or not, but before he really started hitting massive home runs and becoming the Sammy Sosa that we saw from 1998 to 2003. Um, he was a good player. You could see the raw skills there. He always had tremendous power, um, whether he was juicing the whole way or never or whatever. He always had big power. But he was such a free swinger. And you could start to see 1990, the end of 96, certainly in 97 before he, I think it was a broken hand, but he had an injury that ended the season early in, in 1997. Um, he was really starting to lay off some of those pitches that he would just flail at. And as he got more patient and he sort of grew to understand that if I can lay off this junk, there are more and more chances for the pitcher to put one where I can do some damage. And he started doing more and more damage and he started laying off more. The walk rate went up. His power went up. Everything offensive went up. And that's what I—that's what we've all wanted to see from Morrell. Like he went down to the minor leagues to work on that K rate. He kind of did. It was down a little bit. But I, he was also just better than that pitching. So he wasn't seeing the pinpoint command. He wasn't seeing all the pitches on the edge of the zone or just out. He wasn't seeing as much tunneling and deception. Like you, Alex talked about it last week, but you see the raw stuff. You see the velo. You see all the things you see in the major leagues at AAA, you just don't see them as consistently. Guys don't put it together the way they put it together in the major leagues because they're in AAA. Um, but it's really cool to see Morrell really start to show that patience. And I hope it continues. Like we're now, this is for the entire month of June. It's now, you know, June 23rd. So it's not a super small month sample size. So we'll see if he can continue it up. And if he does, he becomes a very dangerous part of this lineup. Wherever he plays, whether he eventually gets a chance at third base, whether he's DHing, whether he's filling in in the outfield, he's a bat you want in the lineup pretty much all the time. So we'll see where that goes. Now on the not-so-good side, I want to talk about Cody Bellinger. So Bellinger came out had a great April. In April, he really – it wasn't just numbers. It wasn't just that he was hot and putting up something because he had some hot stretches with the Dodgers the last couple of years too. But he really looked different. I mean, he looked like he was getting back to something – like that 2019 MVP form or like 2018 when he won rookie of the year, you know, he, he just put up massive numbers in April. He had a WRC plus of 159 in April. He was hitting bombs. He was, you know, he and wisdom were the big power threat in the lineup. Um, but since then, I mean, he had the injury, so he, he struggled a little bit in May before he got hurt. Um, he put up a 53 WRC plus in May. And what I see there is, you know, the, the walk rate fell. He was, 9.5% in April. He was down to 6.9% in in May. And the K rate went from 16.2% in April to 24.1% in May. 
Now those numbers aren't terrible. Um, I don't hate Cody Bellinger at twenty four percent strikeout rate, but you know the the average fell, the power fell, everything kind of fell, um, and then he got hurt, so he missed some time and came back off a very short rehab. I think just because the Cubs needed him to basically. Um, but June has not been pretty. You know, June he's got a negative twenty three WRC plus. He's hitting he's, his slash line is one hundred five, one eighty two, one fifty eight, um, and the walk rate's actually back up. So that's good to see. But you know, he's striking out thirty one point eight percent of the time now. So some of this is him coming back from injury, getting his timing back, and doing all the things. But it's also you know another stretch of time now where he's not that MVP Cody Bellinger, and you kind of start to wonder what that means. I mean, I, I hope he gets it back. I hope this is more coming, you know, rust and coming back from injury. Um, but one thing we didn't know in April is as good as he looked, which Cody Bellinger did the Cubs sign? I don't think we know that at this point. I think there've been a lot of assumptions that he was going to get traded at the deadline. That's still possible. Even if the Cubs are competing, I think he's maybe the one big piece they might trade, even if they are contending, but you know, if this performance continues, then we always had the question, you know, if, if the Cubs were good, they hopefully wouldn't trade. If they're bad and they're bad and Cody Bellinger's bad, then he's not really tradable. And the best case scenario on the trade front, although it's a bad case scenario for the Cubs, would be that he's performing well and the Cubs are maybe falling out of it and then they could get something back from him. Um, right now he's playing first base. He's playing certainly a better first base than Trey Mancini. So given that. And, but... And hopefully he'll get that back going. But right now it's it's not there. So he's he's one we're kind of worried about. And then Trey Mancini is another one. You know, the Cubs signed him to a two-year, $14 million deal in the offseason. He's a guy who's always hit. But now, you know, he really didn't have a good second half last year. And so now he's got almost a calendar year of really being a below-average baseball player. He's never been great defensively. And we saw in, you know, Kyle in uh, the last start where he had that fielded the ball at first base and then basically just like dropped it out of nowhere and then made a lousy throw to lighter because he rushed it and almost got lighter killed. Um, he's not a good defender, but he's in there for his bat and his power and he's not hitting and he's not hitting for power. So first base continues to be a struggle for the Cubs. Um, I don't know. I don't think he's an imminent DFA uh, candidate. I think that would probably require either Bellinger to get going and just stay at first base or for, you know, Matt Mervis to come back up and for Matt Mervis to come back up and really start hitting. But he's not really all that playable right now. So, I mean, he's getting, he's getting about what he would probably deserve. He's getting about a start a week, maybe two. Um, But I think he's one of the reasons why Amaya is still on the roster because then that gives you the flexibility to either, between Amaya and Gomes, one of them can catch, one of them can DH if there's a favorable matchup like there was against Rich Hill. Um, but first base is a problem. Patrick Wisdom is just, we talked about him, I talked about him a couple weeks ago, but he's he's lost. I mean, he's he does have, they put him on the injured list with a wrist injury. And so I think there was some kind of assumption that that was one of those maybe phantom IL stints. You know, kind of the, the the bruised OPS goes on the disabled list, but or on the injured list. But one of the things that is true is if if he has been playing through a wrist injury, that will absolutely sap your bat speed, and that's something that's been killing him. He's been getting blown up on fastballs that normally gets gets around on. So, you know, he, he's on the shelf. I would say at this point, the way he'd been playing, you know, assuming he is hurt, there's no reason to rush him back. I mean, get him healthy. If he's not healthy, he's just not really contributing. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where the offense is stalled. I, I think some of the other guys are just, you know, it's when you look at the lineup construction, I've talked about this before with David Ross, you know, a lot of people have thought Ross is making terrible bullpen decisions, putting out terrible lineups. And while he's done some of both because all managers do a lot of times he was catching blame because the outcome was bad. And that, I mean, that's that's the role of the manager, right? I mean, the team doesn't win. You're the one at fault. They're not going to fire a 26-man roster. They're going to fire the manager. But sometimes a decent move or the right move or a good move isn't going to work. And sometimes you could make a legitimately stupid decision and a guy just goes out there and hits a bomb or gets a big out. The Cubs went through a stretch where 
it just felt like everything had to be perfect because guys were not executing the, up and down the lineup. The Cubs were not getting enough hits. They weren't, they were hitting terribly with the runners in scoring position. But one of the things I really believe about clutchness and runners in scoring position situations is I think, I think over enough time, there are a few outliers. There's occasionally a guy who is just clutch for his entire career or guys who are just not clutch for their entire career. But really, if you go back and look at a lot of people, um, I've seen comments about Ian Happ not being clutch. His clutch numbers, his high leverage numbers, his medium leverage numbers, they're all in the ballpark of just what he does. Given enough sample size, a guy is just who he is and is going to tend to trend toward career norms unless there's some specific reason otherwise. That could be an injury. That could be some skill development where maybe for a pitcher they've had a new pitch that might change how they handle those situations. There could be some comfort level, but for the most part, especially as a hitter, you know, if if you're a major league hitter and you're a good everyday player, you probably already have a solid approach or a solid enough approach. And you're going to use that. You should be using that approach in every at bat. So, you know, it shouldn't be a situation where, oh my gosh, there's a runner in scoring position. I lose my mind and I can't do anything. But you're also going to go through stretches where for 16, 20 plate appearances, you're not getting it done. And the Cubs did that as a team. So now what I think what we're seeing is we're, we're seeing, as they say, regression to the mean. The Cubs are overall in pretty average offense. And I think they're trending back towards pretty average runners in scoring position and leverage numbers, which is great because they were terrible before. Um, same with the bullpen, although the bullpen, I think now that guys are starting to settle into roles, I think that's driving a lot of it and, and it's not sort of noise or, you know, I, I would certainly wouldn't call it lucky. But as much as, you know, we've talked about run differential and the Cubs were, you know, at one point among the top five or six teams in the league and run differential and it projected well for the playoffs, that obviously fell down when they lost a lot of those games and got blown out certainly more than once. But the Cubs are still the only team in, the, in this division with a positive run differential. Milwaukee doesn't. They're in second place. Cincinnati has been absolutely red hot. They do not have a positive run differential. Um, now the Reds have won 11 games in a row, so that counts for something. Um, they did sweep the Astros, who were a good team, obviously. But a lot of those games were against weaker opponents. Now the Reds are going into a stretch where they're facing the Braves and they're facing the Orioles, and then they go and face the Padres. So they're going to face a lot better teams over the next you know week to 10 days. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think they are a very young and exciting team. They have some, you know, Ellie De La Cruz is absolutely electric. They've got really good young skill talent offensively, and they're going to put up a lot of runs. I question their pitching, especially, you know, Hunter Green is now on the shelf. He's a guy that I think the whole league's been a little bit scared of, and he's got that got that velo. He can throw that 100-mile-an-hour fastball all day long. And we saw it when the Cubs faced him. I mean, he just chewed the Cubs up and that's what he can be. Now he has not been there. Like a lot of young pitchers, there's consistency issues and not getting enough location. You know, sometimes in the minors you come up and you're, you have that gas, you have that electric stuff. You've got big break on your breaking pitches. It almost doesn't matter where you put it. Um, some guys are going to catch it and you'll get hit hard, but not enough guys in the lineup can consistently up and down the lineup do that. Um, but now it looks like he's starting to figure it out, but then he got hurt. So I'm I'm a fan of baseball talent. I don't wish injuries on people, so I hope he's back soon. Um, but him being out certainly weakens what's already probably a fairly questionable pitching staff. They do get Joey Votto back, though, who is an absolute Cubs killer. Um, be interesting to see what he does. He had a great game his first game back. I think he had three hits in the home run. Um, Joey Votto is a guy who has driven me nuts for years and years and years. Absolute cub killer, but also a completely impossible guy to hate. I mean, last year when the Cubs were playing the Reds in the – no, sorry, it was the year before. In the, the White Sox game against the Reds in, in the Field of Dreams game, they had Joey Votto mic'd up, and, I mean, I could listen to that inning, you know, for 10 hours straight. He's just such a smart baseball guy. He's interesting to listen to, and he just really has a passion for the game. So I love seeing guys like that come back and be around. Um, so where are the Cubs right now? Well, like I said, they've won 10 out of 12. 
They're going to London to play St. Louis for two games. Um, I like the way those games line up. The Cubs have Justin Steele going on a little bit longer rest on Saturday, and then they've got Marcus Stroman going on his normal day on on Sunday. They have an off day Monday, so they'll they've and they've had two days off leading up to that. So everybody in the bullpen is going to be fresh. They'll be able to use any guys they want in almost any combination out of the bullpen. They come home and they'll have to deal with a jet lag coming back, but they're off on Monday. Um, and then go to Philly on Tuesday. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the, the, this is a team where I kind of hate this break right now. It's almost like a mini all-star break with the days off to London and the day off coming back. And then when they come back, they play, I think it's 13 games in 13 days coming coming out. So basically two weeks without rest. Um, I They're at a point where I just want to keep seeing them go out every day. They're, they're hot, keep playing, stay hot. Uh, but I think this is a this is a good team. This is a team that is better than what they showed in certainly in May. Um, they're probably not as good as they've looked over the last twelve games. I mean, you're you're not going to win ten out of twelve every twelve games for the rest of the season. Um, but I think we're seeing more of what they can be. I think they're getting a better mix of people. I think the roster will continue to get tweaked. Um, and the the big questions hanging over this now are the is the deadline. And so when you look at the trade deadline, the Cubs have sold off two years in a row. It's been pretty depre- pretty depressing. Um, they came into this offseason, they they did spend money. I mean, they spent almost $300 million this offseason getting Dansby Swanson, getting Jamison Tyone. You know, not all the moves have worked, but they were aggressive. They went and got guys that they believed in. And... So the Cubs have set this up. They've also extended Ian Happ. They've extended Nico Horner. So they're in a position now, and I've said it before, I'll continue to say it. I see a lot of fans talking about this team was always designed to sell off. Jed does not want to win this year. That's garbage. It's complete and utter bullshit. Um, Now, they didn't go all in for this year for the World Series, but they absolutely put together a roster that they thought could compete for the what's been a really weak Central Division. Now, is that good enough? We could have that discussion. Maybe that's not good enough. Um, I wouldn't argue with anybody on that point. But I, So the, the big pieces to trade would be Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman's value is absolutely peak right now. But as we've talked about before, if they trade him away, sure, they, they're probably going to get a really good haul back to probably get some major league ready talent, um, whether you're getting you know one or two really quality high-end prospects or high-end young players or whether you're getting four, five, six guys, who knows? But you're now in a situation where Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner, Jamison Tyone, Justin Steele, they are all locked in over the next three, four years. So you want to win in that window. And if you trade Marcus Stroman away, now maybe Marcus Stroman, again, I say you're not as good as you are on your best day, you're not as bad as you are on your worst. Marcus Stroman probably is not a top 10 starting pitcher in baseball. But that's fine. He probably is a top 30. He probably, you know, he certainly is, at the worst, a high-end number two. And if you trade that away from your staff, that's another piece you have to get just to stay at the level you're currently at. So if the Cubs are a 500-ish team right now, and that's what they would project to be this season... You trade Marcus Stroman away, now you've got to add another quality starter just to get back to being that 500-ish team, let alone bringing in something else to make the team better and go higher. So I am way, way, way in favor of extending Marcus Stroman you know, later this season, whatever. I, I don't know that timeline necessarily matters. I, I would imagine that uh, the Stroman camp and the Cubs will have some discussions, certainly, um, before the trade deadline. Now, Marcus Stroman has come out very publicly, very clearly saying he wants to stay with the Cubs. I would imagine that Jed will have some, they haven't yet, and it makes sense because you're not going to do that negotiation with Stroman in June. Um, there's no urgency. There's no pressure on the Cubs side to get it done. There's nowhere that Marcus Stroman is going to go. You're going to want to get some info before the trade deadline. Maybe at that point you find a number and, and settle on it. I think you know we're talking probably somewhere between 25 and $30 million per year, probably for something between three and five years. 
either tearing up his option for next year or adding to it on the backside. Most likely tear it up, and then how many years are they going to add? Um, I think the more years, probably the lower annual value. The fewer years, the higher annual value. So, you know, if it was as short as three, then he probably is getting $30, $32 million a year, and so you're looking at like three ninety two. Um, if it's more on the five side, maybe it's more like 28. So, you know, maybe you're looking at, uh, you know, a little over, you know, five years at, maybe you're looking at five years, $130 million. I mean, there, there should be a number in there that he and the Cubs can agree on, whatever that is. And I, you want to keep him around. I mean, I think Justin Steele can be an ace, um, but Justin Steele has also not shown that he can stay healthy for an entire season. So that's, you know, no guarantee. I'm not expecting anything big, but he's already had one, injured list stint this year. Um, Kyle Hendricks looks good. If he keeps pitching like this, they will absolutely bring him back on that option he has for next year. Um, Jameson Tyone is eventually going to figure it out. Just like, you know, Michael Fulmer was horrendous. He's getting back to looking like Michael Fulmer. Um, Jameson Tyone has had too many good years and too much a track record to not come back. But, you know, is this going to be just a bad year? This might just be a bad year. He might not get all the way back this year. But they've got him for another three after this year. So we're going to see plenty of Jamison Tyone, whether you want to or not. Uh, they got young kids coming up, but to expect that Hayden Wesneski or Ben Brown or even Cade Horton or Caleb Killian or Jordan Wicks are going to come up and be what Marcus Stroman is right now next year, I mean, that's – that's a whole level of unfair expectation. Um, so what do they do? I mean, I think obviously the the ideal situation is the Cubs keep playing good ball, keep winning. They're two games under 500 right now. You know, if they can get to the all-star break, they do have a bit of a rough schedule coming up here, but um, then after the all-star break, it kind of lightens up a little bit, at least on paper. Um, but, you know, stay close to 500, get up to 500, be in the race. Like right now they're two games under 500 and they're three and a half games out of first place. That's in the race. And I don't think the Cubs are going to go crazy at the deadline, but I think if they're hanging around, I think they're going to be buyers. I mean, um, Tom and Jed have basically said as much. No, I don't think that means they're going to go trade half the farm system get five guys and go all in for the season. I don't think it means that, but I think there's absolutely room there both in terms of money and in terms of prospect capital to go out and make some moves and bring in a couple bullpen arms. Maybe you find a third baseman, maybe a um, Jamer Candelario, um, somebody like that to come in and help fill a gap. Um, maybe you wind up moving and getting a first baseman. I don't know. Um, but I think they're going to make some additions to this team and hopefully stabilize for a bit of a, playoff run and you know what I said before the season I predicted 83 wins potentially up to 85 unless they caught lightning in a bottle and went higher but my goal for the season was for the Cubs to be playing meaningful baseball in September and I think with what we've seen over the last couple weeks I think they're going to be in a position to do that Um, this division continues to struggle I'm not a I'm not a full believer in the Cincinnati Reds yet Obviously, they're really looking really good right now. We'll see what they do against some tougher competition over the next week or two. Um, but the Pirates started out absolutely scorched earth, and they were red hot, tearing things up, and raced out to a bit of a big division lead. But they've come just crashing back to earth. And Milwaukee, despite that starting pitching, they're floating around the top. They're, I would probably still, on paper, say they're the div- division favorite, but they just don't. They haven't made many moves. They've had plenty of opportunities to run away with this division. They just haven't. Um, and I think they're a team that could be really interesting. Last year they were, I'm pretty sure they were in first place at the deadline when they traded Josh Hader. So they had arguably the best closer in baseball, and they traded him away while they're in first place in their division. I mean, that's a certainly not a move fans like, but that's a that's an interesting kind of move. And the Cubs, uh, the Brewers have Corbin Burns this year, who is another guy who would be highly desirable in the starting pitcher market. And they are basically know that they are not going to be able to re-sign him. I think he has one more year under contract, so they don't have to move him right now. But if they move him now with a full year of control next year, it raises the price of what they're going to be able to charge the team they're trading him to. So that's a team that could actually be selling at the deadline. You know, the Cardinals are just an absolute mess right now. I mean, they are 
31 and 44. They're nine games out of first. They've got the worst record in, well, now Colorado passed them by this week, um, getting swept by the Reds. So, and I guess Washington fell off too. So at one point, St. Louis had the worst record in the National League. Now they're just barely ahead of uh, Washington and Colorado, but they're floundering. You know, their big stars aren't having the seasons that they want to have, and they don't have enough pitching. I've heard that there are some talks maybe between the Cardinals and Seattle going right now to kind of trade strength for strength, and maybe the Cardinals might give up some you know young offensive talent to try to get some of the young Mariners pitching talent, maybe help both teams get a shot in the arm. But St. Louis is not really looking like a contender right now, and if they don't get something moving here soon, they might be sellers at the deadline, or they might just kind of languish, and they haven't had a season like this in a long time. So this is a division that's ripe for the taking. I don't think the Cubs are necessarily in a position right now where they're just going to go and run away with it. I think there's every chance that they're you know, going to be in this race. They're going to have their opportunities to take advantage, and I think it's time for them to do it. I mean, they have as much talent, really, as anybody else in this division, especially the way teams have played this year. They've got the starting pitching you want to see, and if this team can get to the playoffs, if the starting pitching continues to pitch like this and you can go into a series with Marcus Stroman, Justin Steele, and then some combo of Kyle Hendricks and Drew Smiley – None of those guys are big strikeout guys. And so, you know, in the playoffs, you kind of want those big dominant. You want to be able to roll out Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling or, you know, some of those combos we've seen over the years. But that's that, that's a good starting set to potentially make some noise in the playoffs. Like, you're going to be playing in close games. You're going to be – the starting pitching should keep you in it. Um, and it gives the team a chance to potentially go on a run. Um, that's way ahead of today. But I, there are elements of this team that I think are, are really, really strong. So hopefully they continue to work and and supplement some of those gaps. But we'll see. Um, reminder for this weekend, the games are early. Given the time differences in London, they play at, let's say it's 11 o'clock Eastern time, or 11 o'clock Central time on Saturday, and then they're at 9 o'clock Central time on Sunday morning. So get up early, get your English breakfast, and uh, sit down and watch them hopefully – a couple big wins against the Cardinals. And happy Ryan Sandberg Day. Go Cubs. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out the Patreon page, cubspsplus.patreon.com to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!